You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. The Masters has been plagued by rain and weather all week long. They are finally catching a break with the weather today as they complete round three. And then round four is set to begin at 1230. And boy, things are really tightening up. At the beginning of play today, when it resumed with the leaders putting on the seventh green, Brooks Kepka had a four-shot lead over John Rahm. Now, that does come with a little bit of an asterisk because Kepka, his first shot was a 12-footer for par. Rahm's first shot was about a 7-footer for birdie. Immediately, Kepka missed his par putt, and then Rahm knocked in his birdie putt. So a four-shot lead, just like that, went down to two. They had played uh, with that two-shot spread for the last... I would say four or five holes until a moment ago. Uh, Kepka dropped another stroke, so he's at minus 12. John Rahm is at minus 11 as they tee off on what hole is this right here? Well, they're teeing off here in round number three. I believe it's the 12th hole. So it's a one-stroke difference between Kepka and Rahm. So we'll continue to follow that. Uh, round four coming up, like I said, uh, starting at 12.30. Um, on Masters Sunday. Mets are home uh, today to take on the Miami Marlins. You'll have uh, Mets are looking to sweep that three-game series with Carlos Carrasco on the mound against Braxton Garrett. One forty-first pitch at City Field. Mets won 5-2 to two over the Marlins yesterday. Uh, unfortunately for the Mets, this is the biggest downside. Uh, after today, they won't see Miami again until they're in Miami for a three-game series September 18th through the 20th. So it's been a very comfortable start to the season for the Mets, uh, playing the Miami Marlins in two of their first three series, and they've already beaten them five times. In fact, all five of their wins this season have come against Miami. They'll play them twice more, uh, both in late September in Miami and then September 26th through the 28th at City Field. But Carlos Carrasco, Braxton Garrett, the pitching matchup today in Queens. Nestor Cortez for the Yankees in Baltimore as they look to win their third consecutive series to begin the season. Tyler Wells gets the ball for the Orioles. 1-800-919-3776. Uh, talking about Garrett Cole being underappreciated and comparing him to other underappreciated athletes of recent vintage or of any vintage, really, in New York. And it is a very clear comparison for me between the way Cole is perceived and the way Julius Randle is perceived as now a two-time All-Star with the New York Knicks. Let's open the phone lines back up at 1-800-919-3776, and let's let Jose in Brooklyn have his say. Jose, good morning. Hey, good morning, Mr. O'Keefe. How's it going? Very good. How are you? I'm doing all right, and I was just having a very entertaining uh, conversation with the call screener, and he was fat. He, he definitely brought it today. Um, I gotta say, I'm on the other side with the Garrett Cole being underappreciated thing. I came from. I, I, I'm a very, I'm a big time fan of ESPN Radio, and I've listened to you guys since the 1050 days, and. I remember there was a guy named Alex Rodriguez who won two regular season MVPs and still got booed every single time almost at the plate. And they, and it just comes down to, are you going to perform in the playoffs? And I know that he performed well in Cleveland, 
But the issue is, is we we were expecting a CC Sabathia type performance from him, and what we kind of got was more of a middle of the road David Cohn, Andy Pettit, you know, where we needed more of the staff and more of the hitting, and it just did. It's just not there. And I know we want to talk about you know his his credentials and what he's done, but since the sticky stuff, he's he's not been the same pitcher. I understand that he's been voted number two for Cy Young a couple years ago, but he followed it up last year with a horrendous year, like 13 and eight as the numbers look good, but his home run give ups and, and how many games he almost cost the Yankees down the stretch when we could have been out of the playoffs throughout that time. If it wasn't for Aaron judge, I think it's something that we can't ignore. Decent points, Jose. All right. Here, here's what I would say. He's obviously the ace of the team. He gets the ball in game one of a playoff series. He's the highest Definitely. paid pitcher on the team. I hear what you're saying. And has he given us that CC Sabathia ace-like run that CC had in his first year in pinstripes in 2009? No, he has not. But the question I would ask is, who's better? You know, you, you have to just look at this in the context of Major League Baseball. If you start to list for me the pitchers you would rather yeah. atop this rotation besides Garrett Cole, I think it's a very short list, Jose. Oh, definitely. And I think the the major mistake is more on management because when we got CC Sabathia, we also got Burnett and we also brought back Pettit. There was a huge um it was just Cole, it was just Cole Hamels enough and, and, and that was it. that was in that free agency. So that that I do agree with. Jose, thanks for the call. Well, here's the thing. The Yankees tried to do that this year, right? They have Luis Severino, the big addition in the offseason. Obviously, the big move was re-signing Aaron Judge. The big addition was Rodon. Unfortunately, Rodon's hurt right now. He's supposed to be the number two starter on this team. So there's not so much pressure on Garrett Cole to perform every single time he steps onto the mound because when you are clearly the guy and your head and shoulders above the rest of the rotation that, look, everybody has a bad start. Cole had a terrible start in Fenway Park in 2021 in the wild card game. Everybody has a bad start. But if you're the guy and you have a bad start, that just throws everything completely out of whack. There's no margin for error in your starts. Now, the idea this year was to build up the depth behind Garrett Cole. Rodon hasn't helped yet. Nestor Cortez is still there. Luis Severino was hurt once again. Frankie Montez, that's turning out to be a disaster of a move for Brian Cashman, and that's been Cashman's biggest downfall since he took over as general manager in 1998. You know, he has made a lot of good moves. The Yankees have been in contention every single year. He has gotten the payroll to where Hal Steinbrenner is comfortable managing it, knowing that Hal Steinbrenner doesn't have the deep pockets of Steve Cohen. He's been able to do that and yet keep this team in contention. The one thing that Cashman has just not been able to figure out year after year after year is the starting pitching rotation. I mean, it's, it really is frustrating. I mean, you go back to the, the Carl Pavanos and the Jarrett Wrights. Frankie Montas certainly belongs on that list. You know, the jury's still out on Rodon. We haven't seen him yet. But year after year after year, Corey Kluber, yeah, he threw a no-hitter as a Yankee, but outside of that, what did he do? You know, it's like rinse and repeat. Bring in a former all-star pitcher 
who's had some injury issues. Therefore, you can get him on the cheap, plug him into your rotation, and hope that he can find the fountain of youth and be a solid third or fourth starter. It's like every single year they have gone through that, and it hasn't worked out about 90% of the time. Now, this year they tried it a little bit differently. You know, that's not Rodon. Rodon is in his prime. And he's an all-star level pitcher, and they signed him to a big contract. And lo and behold, what happens? He gets hurt in spring training and hasn't pitched yet. But Garrett Cole, I, is he Sabathia of 2009? He's not. And you wish he was, but he's not. Now, I think he showed a lot last year in the playoffs. Because if you remember, as the Yankees went into the playoffs last season, he didn't have the greatest regular season. Our last caller is right about that. His regular season numbers last year, 13-8. and eight. I know the win-loss record is not nearly as important in baseball as it used to be, but I think when you're talking about a pitcher like Garrett Cole, who takes the ball every five days, there is still some relevance in the win-loss record. 13-8, and eight, but a 3.50 earned run average, 200 innings pitched, 257 strikeouts, but he allowed 33 home runs, and that led the league. He led the league in strikeouts. He led the league in home runs allowed, and he led the league in starts, 33 of them. He takes the ball every five days. And again, I would ask you, who would you rather have in that spot? You know, look at the Mets. They have two pitchers who are making more money annually than Garrett Cole. Shorter contracts, obviously. Scherzer and Verlander are towards the end of their careers. Would you rather either of them on top of your rotation than Garrett Cole? I mean, Verlander hasn't pitched yet. Scherzer hasn't gotten off to the greatest start. He missed time last year. He's 40 years old. You know, Shohei Otani, would you rather him? Okay, but what has he done? I mean, we don't know what he's done in the postseason because his brilliant regular season performances haven't helped his team get to the postseason. And that brings me back to the point I made earlier where baseball is the one sport where it is most difficult for one player to affect winning. Just look at the Los Angeles Angels. They have two of the best players in all of baseball, and they haven't sniffed the postseason. We did see Otani come up in a big spot in the World Baseball Classic, but that's different than what we're talking about here. Maybe not for him, but as far as he's perceived, that's a lot different. So yeah, Cole isn't everything you wanted him to be, but he's better than almost every other option that's out there. And this, for me... All comes down to, in New York, and I would imagine it's like this in other towns, but we're in New York, and I grew up in New York, and I'm using this as the example right now. In New York, the homegrown player is always, always going to be more popular than the free agent who signed for big money and came over. I mean, there are examples of that throughout history. Our last caller gave a glaring example of that in Alex Rodriguez. That's probably the best example there is. Rodriguez was better at baseball than Derek Jeter. And he was a pariah for a lot of his time in New York, playing right next to Derek Jeter, who is one of the most beloved athletes we have ever had in this town. Rodriguez was better. I mean, you can't convince me otherwise. Was he better in the postseason? No. Was he a homegrown Yankee? No. Garrett Cole came over and took the money and signed with the Yankees. And I think the Yankee fan... First of all, they love the homegrown player. And not just the Yankee fan, the New York fan. You know, Aaron Judge is the homegrown player. He takes the mantle from Derek Jeter as the homegrown player. Giancarlo Stanton 
has gone through it here in New York. And he's handled it brilliantly. He puts his head down. He's accountable when he doesn't play well. Unfortunately, he gets hurt too often. But he's playing well right now. He had another home run last night. You know, Alex Rodriguez is a different story because he brought a lot of it on himself, right? Sunbathing in the park. Not coming through time after time after time in the clutch. But he finally did. He finally did in 2009. And you know what happened? He was revered. And in 2011, when the Yankees lost in the ALDS to the Tigers, and A-Rod made the final out of that series and played poorly in that series again, guess what? Yankee fans booed him again. That's just how it is. And that's how it is with the Knicks. R.J. Barrett hasn't had a great season for the Knicks. His scoring numbers are about the same as they were last year, but if you look at the other numbers, um, the efficiency just isn't where you would want it to be, especially when you look at this Knicks roster and everybody seemingly has improved. Mitchell Robinson has improved. Quinton Grimes has improved. Emmanuel Quickly has really improved. Obi Toppin has improved. R.J. Barrett hasn't made that same leap as those other players, okay? But he's a homegrown guy, and he gets a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt from fans than somebody like Julius Randle, who signed for big money and came to New York. Now, Randall, again, sometimes tends to be his own worst enemy, but the worst thing you could say about Randall is that he, at times, allows his emotions to get the better of him. That's the worst thing you could say about Randall. It really is that, and he hasn't come through in clutch situations. Well, the clutch thing is not as big an issue anymore because of the presence of Jalen Brunson. And Brunson is the rare example of, of a guy who's not a homegrown player who is absolutely revered by the New York fan. You know, nothing's 100%. Brunson's the most popular Nick right now. There's no question about it. Why? Because this fan base and this franchise has been starving for somebody at that position for 30 years. And Brunson has come in, and he has changed everything. Plus, the other thing, and this is just my opinion, I think the fan can relate more to a guy like Brunson. He's 6'2". He's not a physical specimen. He was a second-round draft pick. I think the Knicks fan and the New York fan sees Brunson as a little bit of a self-made man. He's a wonderful talent, but he obviously wasn't always viewed that way because even despite his brilliance in college, winning National Player of the Year, winning two national championships at Villanova, that still wasn't enough for people to think that he was a first-round pick. And he began his career on the bench in Dallas had to work his way up to a starting spot last year. And every single time he has been presented with a challenge, he's passed it. Now let's look at Randall on the other hand. Randall was a blue-chip prospect, one of the best high school players in the country. He went to where? He went to Kentucky. He played one season. He led Kentucky to the national championship game. He went into the draft. He was the seventh overall pick. Randall... People can't relate to Julius Randle because of his physical tools and his physical gifts. And he got off to a slow start in his NBA career. His first game, he broke his leg, and he missed the rest of his rookie season, which is ironic for a guy who has become the most durable player in the NBA until two weeks ago when he sprained his ankle. And then he came to New York at a tough time. You know, think about the circumstances under which Randle came to New York in the offseason before the 2019-2020 season. We remember what happened, right? Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were supposed to come to Madison Square Garden. 
Instead, they went to Barclays Center. There was a time right after the Chris Stapps Porzingis trade. We knew Durant was a free agent. We knew Kyrie Irving was a free agent. And the Knicks were on their way to a 17-win season. So a lot of people thought that the Knicks were going to win the draft lottery and get who? Zion Williamson. On the back page of the Post, I believe it was the Post. If it was the Daily News, I apologize. But it was one of the two. On the back page after the Porzingis trade, when the Knicks had cleared enough cap space by that trade to sign both Irving and Durant, and with the hopes that they were going to win the lottery, you saw on the back page, in Knicks uniforms, Durant, Irving, and Williamson. They got none of them. Randall was viewed from the beginning as a consolation prize. And that in no way was his fault. In no way was his fault. He got off to a slow start his first season. That was a terrible Knicks team. They were 4-18 and when they fired David Fisdale. Mike Miller took over as the interim head coach. He brought some competence back to the head coaching position. And if you go back and look at Randall's first year in New York, he played a lot better under the interim coach Mike Miller than he did under David Fisdale because David Fisdale was not a good basketball coach. But by that point, the Knicks had buried themselves in the standings and a lot of people weren't paying attention. And then the world changed in March. COVID started on March 11th. The Knicks went away from March 11th until the next season began two days before Christmas. So there were nine months without Knicks basketball. And when they finally did come back, fans weren't allowed in the building. And that's when Randall had his best season. And it's been up and down. He had a brilliant season in 2021 when they went to the playoffs. Last year, he gave the thumbs down and cursed towards the fans. He later apologized for that. His body language wasn't good. His efficiency dipped last season. The team took a step back. They didn't go to the playoffs. And who's going to get all that blame? The highest paid player. The face of the franchise, right? When you're the highest paid player, that's what you sign up for. Garrett Cole, until Aaron Judge just signed his contract, was the highest paid player. So when the Yankees come up short in the playoffs in 2020 against Tampa Bay and 2021 against Boston, 2022 against Houston, who gets the focus? The highest paid player. And it's worse on that player when he's not a homegrown player. Who was the face of the Knicks coming up short in the playoffs in 2021? It was Julius Randle, and he didn't play well. His production from the regular season dipped significantly because Nate McMillan and Atlanta had a game plan for how to attack him. They forced him into tough shots, and he wasn't the same player. And Knicks fans threw their hands up and said, despite being an all-star for the first time and despite being second-team All-NBA, it's the same old Julius Randle. And that spilled into last year when fans came back into the building. Randle wasn't as good because the team wasn't as good. And then he started feuding with the fans. And what happened this year? One guy changed it all. One guy changed everything with his presence. And that's Jalen Brunson. And he took a lot of the pressure off of Julius Randle. Randle could just go out there and play basketball again. And yet, does he have his moments where he gets the untimely technical foul? He does. And you don't like that. That's not good. And there have been some situations where it's cost the Knicks in that scenario but that's part of what you get with Julius Randle. But sit here and tell me that the good for Randle or for Garrett Cole hasn't far outweighed the bad, especially when you take into account, and this is what you can't just look at every single 
big-ticket free agent signing in a vacuum. You have to also look at it in the context of what are the other options. You know, Randall signed as a free agent in 2019. He's been an all-star twice. He's going to be all-NBA for the second time this year, and he's about to take this franchise to the playoffs for the second time after they missed it the six seasons before he arrived here in New York. I'd say that's a pretty good return on investment. Garrett Cole, you don't have to worry about him. He takes the ball every five days. 80 to 90% of the time, you're going to get a more than competent start from him. He leads the league in starts. He leads the league in strikeouts. Does he give up too many home runs? Yes. Does he perform in the postseason? More often than not, yes. But everybody remembers the game in Fenway Park against the Red Sox. When you're the big-ticket free agent signee and not the homegrown player, you don't get as much of the benefit of the doubt in this town. Knicks fans love quickly. Knicks fans love Toppin. I still hear, I, I like Toppin. He's playing really well right now. I still hear from Knicks fans that they're better off with Obi Toppin starting instead of Julius Randle. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's an absurd statement to make. Julius Randle averages 25 points and 10 rebounds a game. Obi Toppin has played really well during his last four starts. The first two of those, he grabbed one rebound in each of those games. How can you look at that and say the Knicks are better with Obi Toppin than Julius Randle? Well, it's because Obi Toppin is a homegrown first-round draft pick. So is Quickly. So is Quentin Grimes. Mitchell Robinson, homegrown. Julius Randle, highest-paid player on the team. Free agent acquisition. That guy in this town, in any sport, is never, ever, ever going to get as much of the benefit of the doubt as the homegrown star. I will get back to the phones as we continue. 1-800-919-3776. Kepka has his two-stroke lead back over Rom. Round three of the Masters on this Easter Sunday here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right. Pat O'Keefe with you. Two hours from now, we got Nick's pregame. Nick's Pacers at the Garden. Cohen and Wally Zerbiak will bring you the action for that after uh, I walk you through the pregame show. So we're going to spend a lot of time together on this Easter Sunday, this Passover weekend here on 98.7 ESPN New York. 1-800-919-3776. All right, let me give you guys a chance to weigh in as we open back up the phone lines and go to Richard in Manhattan. Richard, good morning. Hi, Pat. Pat, one thing I want to get out there. Whenever you discuss a, a team season and they say, and if they lose in the playoffs, this team – and you say it was an unsuccessful season. I believe if it's a seven-game series or a five-game series and you lose the fifth game and or the seventh game, no matter what you did in the regular season, it's been a successful season. Because you can't do any better than that. No matter who you take to seven games or to five games, anything can happen in a deciding game like that. So to me, there's no season that's unsuccessful if you can take the playoff or the World Series, whatever well, game it is, for, whatever for the it most is, part, whatever series it is, to the maximum. Well, hold on. For the most that part, is- I agree, but I'll give you an example where I wouldn't agree with that. Let's say this year in the NBA playoffs, the Bucks are the number one seed and the Hawks would be the number eight seed. And if Milwaukee loses to Atlanta in seven games, I think that's a failure of a season. Yeah, that I uh, maybe yeah. But regarding the versus, Knicks, okay. pertaining to, yeah. pertaining to the Knicks, I, I think anything outside 
of getting completely outclassed in a four-game sweep by the Cavaliers, I, I think they've already moved beyond this being a failure of a season. Failure of a playoff run, sure, I'll buy that, but not a failure of a season. Yeah, well, the Knicks should win all three games at home, so that's why they should go to seven. Anyway, now, Garrett Cole. Cole is making over a million dollars a start, Pat, and don't forget, he's a six-inning pitcher. He went 200 innings, 33 starts. That's six innings a start. That's good. He's good. He's a top-five pitcher. No question the Yankees got their money's worth with him. He's good. I wouldn't go overboard. Now, Alcantara, the uh, pitcher, last week went nine innings. And if you don't mind, if you can look it up, who was the last pitcher to go nine innings, complete game, April 5th or earlier? When was the last time? I'd have to say that's got to be 15 years since that's happened. That's what well, you call I'll have a to get horse. the Elias Sports Bureau on that, uh, Richard. But go on. That's a good question. Oh, okay. Pat. But, you know, to me, Cole, he throws too many pitches, nibbles too much. That's why he can't go more than six innings. He can never get through the seventh inning. So he's a six, six and a third pitcher, five and two thirds pitcher. Yeah, he's good. He's very good. In this day and age, he's top five. But would I go overboard with him now? Now, he hasn't shown to me that he's a horse. He can go seven, seven and two thirds in a playoff game. Never. He's never done that. And I don't think he can do it during the regular season either. And that puts a lot of stress and strain on your bullpen. So he's worth the money, but I won't go overboard on a guy like Cole. Pat, always a pleasure. Thank you. Richard, I agree. Thank you. I, I don't go overboard on Cole either, and I don't think I am. But again, it's all about context with this conversation. And, and Richard pointed that out correctly. Yes, he is not going seven, seven and two-thirds, eight innings in the postseason, but nobody is. Right? So who's the guy out there? That's just not how the game is played anymore. So for me, it continues to come back to, is Cole, you know, what CC Sabathia was? No. Is he what David Wells was in 1998? No. Andy Pettit in 1996? No. But nobody in baseball is like those guys anymore. That's not how the game is played anymore. It's just like basketball. The sport has changed. In those years that I'm talking about, the 1990s, the sport was dominated by big, rim-protecting, somewhat lumbering, although these guys are pretty athletic centers. Shaq, Patrick Ewing, Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson. Obviously, Michael Jordan towered over all of them, but that's how that game was played. Now it's all about the three-point shot. The sport changes. I'm not going to say the sport evolves because um, evolve to me means something got better. And I'm not 100% sure. In fact, I'm quite certain that it hasn't gotten better. You know, baseball today compared to how it was 20 years ago. Basketball today compared to how it was 20 years ago. But the sport has changed. Both of those sports have changed. So, yeah, Cole doesn't go seven and two-thirds innings in a big postseason start. But nobody does. You know, the last guy we saw do that was Madison Bumgarner in that great run to the World Series in 2014. That was nine years ago. I mean, it feels like yesterday it was nine years ago when he pitched a complete game in game five, I believe, and then came out of the bullpen and through the last five or six innings in game seven to close out the Giants' World Series win over the Kansas City Royals. That's not done anymore. Let's go to Ray in Brooklyn. Hey, Ray. 
Hey, Pat, good afternoon. Listen, man, I'm going to disagree with you as well. Please indulge me here for a second. I'm going to make some good points. I will point out that you are picking out a great time to uh, sing his virtues because hitters are at a disadvantage because it's cold. Uh, he's had two great starts. But um, by and large, he's not an ace. He gets paid like one. He's not one, and I'll tell you why. Two years ago, you're wrong. The Yankees were this, the best team in Major League Baseball record-wise in the second half of the season. They had already surpassed Boston in the standings. Cole Fulter three times in September that year, two to the Red Sox, one to the Blue Jays, and put us back in position to get us in that one-game playoff that he blew. So um, you were definitely wrong on that season. The Yankees did have momentum. People were saying, hey, here come the Yankees. But that's, that's just one point. The other point is, if conditions are not ideal, Pat, this guy, if the game starts two seconds late, he's arguing with the guy singing the national anthem and the umpire. That happened one if time. Ray, Ray, that happened opening day no, last year. It was not a good on, look for Pat, Gary Cole. Pat, 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 look, check it out. Yo, okay, that one specific thing. But nobody, no so-called ace in the game of baseball has more mental and psychological meltdowns than Garrett Cole. You can't refute that. He had at least seven I can count last year. So his numbers are so misleading because, okay, he'll dominate the bad teams, but and not all of them because he had a meltdown or two against Detroit. But he doesn't have – like, he'll have dominant games. And that's why his numbers um, kind of average out. But this guy, he scares me on the mound oftentimes. I mean, everything has to be ideal. And with Julius Randle – and him is a decent comparison, but you, don't forget about Julius Randle. I like him, but he's the worst player in the NBA in the last five minutes of any game, and he had the worst playoff series of all time. So these are good players. They're just not great, and I'm not going to go overboard for them. And the thing about the homegrown Knicks, why does everybody hate R.J. Barrett, who I happen to think is a pretty good player? He's not – okay, he's slightly disappointing, but people are making him out to be like a bust. I mean – so, so there goes that home, you know, that homegrown thing because nobody likes him, and I just don't get it. And with Cole, I just don't get it either. I mean, I don't trust this guy. I hope that when when Don comes back, he provides that. I actually think Luis Severino had a better season than Cole last year, and I trust him more if he's healthy. But you know, I appreciate the phone call. You know, giving me an opportunity, man. I'm going to continue to listen. I appreciate it. I appreciate the feedback. Thanks for the call. Well, here's the thing. Ray just said something very important at the end of that last point that he made about Luis Severino. You trust Luis Severino more when he's healthy. You don't have to use that caveat with Garrett Cole or Julius Randle. Although it's kind of awkward having this conversation now because Randle is out with a sprained ankle. But let's let's keep it to Cole. I agree with that caller that I think Luis Severino had a better season last year than Garrett Cole when healthy. But let me look up what Severino did last year compared to what Garrett Cole. We already talked about Garrett Cole's numbers last year. Weren't great by his standards, but he led the league in strikeouts. He led the league in starts, and he led the league in home runs allowed. Luis Severino last year was... An ERA of 3.18, he started 19 games. He started 19 games compared to Garrett Cole's 33. Garrett Cole threw 200 innings. Luis Severino threw 102 innings. That's my point. You can't count on anybody on that team as much as you can count on Garrett Cole. You can count on very few pitchers in all of Major League Baseball as much as you can count on Garrett Cole. 
Is he perfect? No, there's not the perfect pitcher out there. There's no Sandy Koufax. There's no Bob Gibson. There's no Randy Johnson. There's no Greg Maddox. There's no Pedro Martinez for the two or three years where he was healthy and brilliant. There's nobody like that. So Cole's not like that, but neither is Verlander or Scherzer or even Otani. And he might be the closest thing we have to that right now. That pitcher does not exist in Major League Baseball. We'll take a break. We'll continue to uh, get you set for the final day of the NBA regular season. Uh, we'll get into some uh, Mets conversation as we continue as well. Uh, Pete Alonzo off to a terrific start for the Mets. Another home run yesterday in another win over the Miami Marlins. It's Pat O'Keefe with you until Knicks pregame at 1230 right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Our last caller and one of his many, let's just say, questionable points about Garrett Cole not being an ace was that in 2021, it wasn't a dead Yankees team. They were cooking heading into the playoffs, and it was Cole who torpedoed their season in September and then pitched poorly in the wild card game in Boston. Obviously, he pitched poorly in the wild card game in Boston, all right? That doesn't need to have any debate surrounding it. We all know that. My point was that was a dead Yankees team heading into the playoffs. All right, here's what the Yankees did in 2021 in the month of September. From September 4th through September 10th, the Yankees lost, let me count this, three, four, five, six. They lost seven games in a row. They lost seven straight games. They were 78 and 56. They lost seven straight. All of a sudden, they were 78 and 63. Was Cole responsible for all of those losses? Did he pitch every single day? No. Then they got back on track. They won four of their next five, but they limped home and had to beat Tampa one to nothing in the final game of the season to get into the wild card. If you remember, that was the year that Toronto and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was the other MVP candidate pressuring Shohei Otani. Toronto came on very strong late in that season, and the Yankees lost two games to Tampa Bay at home and had to win game number 162 to finish 92-70 and 70 to get into the wild card, and they were the last team in because that wild card game was played in Fenway Park. Now, here are Cole's starts during the month of September that year against the Angels. Seven innings pitched, one earned run allowed, 15 strikeouts. Against Toronto, three and two-thirds innings, two earned runs. Not great, Bob. Against Baltimore, five innings, one earned run. Against Cleveland, five and two-thirds innings, seven earned runs. Against Boston, six innings, three earned runs. And against Toronto, six innings, five earned runs. He didn't fall apart. He didn't melt down. He had a bad start against Toronto. He had a bad start against Cleveland. And he had a bad start against Toronto. He had a brilliant start against the Angels. He had a very good start against Baltimore. He had a good start against Boston. It was a mixed bag for Garrett Cole in September. But that entire Yankees team was on fumes at that point. They had nothing left by the time they got to that wild card game against the Red Sox. And Cole was bad in that game. We can all acknowledge that. But to say that the 2021 Yankees was a team that was set up to do some damage in the postseason is just factually incorrect. And Garrett Cole was a part of that, the way he pitched in that wild card game 
against the Red Sox. But had the Yankees gotten through that game and on to the next round, that team wasn't doing anything that season. That was a bit of a broken team. All right, what are we getting here? We get a text from Tom Bauer, our uh, producer extraordinaire. Here we go. Yankees lineup today. Let's see if Hicks earned himself another opportunity. He did not. Aaron Hicks actually had a big base hit yesterday. DJ LeMayhew at third. Judge in center. Rizzo at first. Stanton DH again. Glaber Torres at second. Cabrera, who's been playing really well in left. Trevino in center. Frenchy Cordero in right. And Anthony Volpe in short. Volpe, I think, has started every game so far this season, Tom. Is that correct? I believe so. Yeah, he has started at a I like, short. I like what they're doing. Because you know what? His numbers aren't jumping off the page. I mean, he's batting below 200. Yesterday, he had the biggest hit in the game. I know Stanton had the home run. I know Hicks had the RBI single. But what you saw from Anthony Volpe, and I think we have some sound from him, Tom, if you could get that ready. But what we saw from Anthony Volpe yesterday is what he can and will bring to this team, and that is speed. And that is an element that the Yankees have not had, and especially with the new rules, the faster pace of play, the limit on pickoff throws, the bigger bases leading to more stolen base opportunities. Volpe, in that fifth inning yesterday, with the game tied at one, set up the entire inning with his triple off the right field wall, which for 95% of major leaguers would have been a double. It caught the great Michael Kay off guard when he was calling it, it sounded like. It looked like Kay thought that he was going to stop at second. He didn't. He kept on going because this is a different element than we are used to seeing on the Yankees. And it set up the entire inning because then LeMahieu comes up and there's pressure on the pitcher with a runner on third and nobody out. DJ doubles to bring home Volpe. He goes to third base on a wild pitch. Aaron Judge brings him home on a sacrifice fly. Just like that, the Yankees are up 3-1. to one. And after Rizzo makes out, Stanton lines a home run over the wall in left field. And just like that, a 1-1 game becomes 4-1. Yankees go on to win 4-1. And it was all set up by Anthony Volpe, who received the player of the game belt afterwards for the first time. It means the world. I, I think I've said it, but being a part of this team and being welcomed in by these guys has made it 10 times better than I ever could imagine. And them to kind of recognize that I was going through it and struggling and and they were there for me every step of the way and then to get recognized by them is makes it better than getting recognized by anyone else. All right, so Nestor Cortez on the mound for the Yankees, a 135 first pitch against the Orioles who send Tyler Wells to the hill in Baltimore today. That Mets in action, final day of the regular season for the Knicks and the Nets and the Masters continues here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. I like what the Yankees are doing with Anthony Volpe. Uh, mentioned his... Uh, big triple last night that set up that three-run inning in the Yankees' 4-1 to win over the Orioles. Volpe hasn't torn the cover off the ball. In fact, he only has four hits so far. It's game number nine today for the Yankees, and he has started in all nine of them. He's young. He doesn't need to rest. He doesn't need to load manage. What he needs is experience and reps at this level, and he needs to continue to take his lumps early in his career because he is going to be here for the long haul. And there's nothing better for a team or a player's development than being able to take your lumps while the team is winning games. Because if the team isn't winning games, then all of a sudden the spotlight shines a little brighter on the player who's not producing. 
And Volpe's batting 160 right now. And he's got a 276 on base percentage. And he's got a 516 OPS. But he has started, this will be his ninth game today. He had his first extra base hit yesterday. He has three stolen bases, so he's making the most of his opportunities on the base pass. Yeah, he struck out too much. He struck out 10 times in 25 at-bats. We knew this would happen. He has played very little baseball above the double-A level until this year. And now he's the starting shortstop every day for the New York Yankees, who are playing the Orioles today at 135. So continue to run him out there. And they're doing that again today. So Volpe starting at shortstop for the Yankees with Nestor Cortez on the mound. Again, the Josh Donaldson injury is, I'm, you know, I don't even think blessing in disguise is the right phrase because it's not in disguise. It's just a blessing. And again, you hate to say that about any professional athlete or anyone. And, and I'm, not, I'm not sitting here saying I was hoping that Josh Donaldson um, would get injured from, for the Yankees' sake. Because I wasn't. That's not true. And that's not fair to say. And that would be stupid of me to say. What I was hoping for, for the Yankees' sake, was for the Josh Donaldson problem to be resolved. And this is the way it has been resolved, at least for the time being. He is not part of the equation right now. So DJ LeMay, who could play third base every day, and Glaber Torres can play second base every day, and Anthony Volpe can continue to play shortstop every day. You already have your everyday first baseman in Anthony Rizzo, and that's a pretty good infield. That's a pretty sound infield, especially if Volpe can continue to improve while the team is winning, and he's not a detriment to winning, and he hasn't been so far, even though he hasn't lit up the scoreboard. But last night was an example of what Anthony Volpe can bring to this team, an element that they have not had. Now, the other issue that still needs to resolve itself is Aaron Hicks. And credit to Hicks. He had a big base hit last night. Yankees lost a tough game on Friday. Yesterday, off to a slow start. Trailing one nothing, Runner in scoring position with two outs. And Aaron Hicks got a big RBI single up the middle. And I made this point yesterday, and I, I firmly believe it. If Aaron Hicks is going to have a place on this Yankees roster this season... He's got to get it done on this road trip. That's why it's a little surprising to me that he's not in the starting lineup today, considering he got the RBI single yesterday. But the Yankees have today in Baltimore, and then they go to Cleveland for three games. Then they're back in the Bronx on Thursday against Minnesota. And if Hicks is one for 16 or one for 17 at that point, his first at-bat in the Bronx is going to be ugly when he steps into that batter's box and is introduced in front of those fans and is going to continue this downward spiral. The only chance Hicks has of making anything of this season, in my opinion, is over the next four days on the road, try to get himself right and contribute away from the spotlight and the ire of the Yankee fans. And look, if you come back to Yankee Stadium and you've contributed to winning on this road trip like he did last night, the Yankee fans will forgive him. That's how it is, and it's not all about performing in front of the Yankee fans, and I'm sure if Aaron Hicks is listening to this right now, he thinks I'm being ridiculous by implying that he cares about the Yankee fans, but I think we can all agree that their reception to him affects negatively his performance. So the Yanks in Baltimore today, Mets at home at City Field here on 98.7 ESPN New York.